We're back on the home front. I'm Richard Beatty, Crawford Media, Denver. Dr. Carol Swain, retired professor of political science and law at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, joined Rita Schulte on Mind Matters this week. Her views on reaching out through education and common sense in the culture war are well-researched in changing the narrative of the right and the left and the right to and from the left. Here's Rita Schulte, host of Mind Matters. Carol, welcome to Mind Matters. It is so great to be uh, on your show. I love the title, Mind Matters, because all of our minds matter, and we need to be using them today. You have an amazing story. I look at it as kind of a rags to riches. Can you share a little bit with our listeners about how uh, you got started, how you grew up, and how your tenures at some of these Ivy League universities shaped you and got you into fighting for some of these causes? Rita, I can tell you that a lot of times when, when people hear Dr. Carol Swain or they hear university professor, former university professor, they come up with all these stereotypes. Uh, and what they find is I'm not what they think. I have a totally non-traditional background. I was one of 12 children born and raised in rural poverty in Southwestern Virginia, a two-room shack for the early part of my life, no indoor plumbing. We were so poor, we didn't even have an outhouse. And, oh my um, gosh, Carol, that's <laughs> unbelievable. Really? And, and not, no proper uh, clothes for the winter. So when it snowed, we stayed home until the snow melted. And to get to school, we had to walk. Now, as a child, this seemed like a mile or longer, but I would guess that it was a little over half a mile past the graveyard, then cross the highway and stand for a school bus that often didn't show up in the wintertime. And we would never know if the school, if we'd miss the school bus. So we'd stand out there and become popsicles. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> literally, yeah. One year, uh, we missed 80 of 180 school days and all of us failed that year. And as a kid, I failed, school, I failed school twice, but during the time that I was in elementary school, I knew I was really smart because I could miss two weeks of school, go in, make an A or make a B. I had positive memories of some parts of school, but I was the dirty, raggedy kid with the packed lunches with biscuits in it. And kids would tease you if you had biscuits in your lunch, because back then, having sliced bread was a status symbol. So, okay, I went to school, dropped out after completing the eighth grade, and so did all my siblings. I married at 16, had my first child at 17. By the time I was 21, I had three small children. Uh, people came to my life and encouraged me, and I uh, got a high school equivalency. Uh, they said it was one of the high schools they'd seen, and then I went uh, and got a two-year degree in business, then I got a four-year degree in criminal justice, graduated magna cum laude. Then I got a master's in uh, political science. I got a PhD in political science. And then later I went back to school and got a master's in law. My master's in law was from Yale. My PhD was from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. The bachelor's degree was Roanoke College, Salem, Virginia. Uh, and the um, Virginia Tech was a master's in political science, and the two-year degree was Virginia West Community College. 
I, I don't think I missed any of Jeez, Carol, like, were you single <laughs> for most of that time? No, I, mean, I, what... I had children. I had children. And I tell you that I never sought to become a university professor or to earn all those degrees. I was just trying to get a better job. And so I had wanted to do art at the community college because I'm artsy, right brain person living Me in too. the left brain world. <laughs> yep. And uh, I was told to be practical by my advisors. So I chose business. Had to take some remedial courses, but I graduated fairly decent uh, average for a high school dropout, someone that never reached high school. I don't remember who my exact GPA was, but I made the dean's list a couple of times. Uh, and so my GPA at the community college probably was 2.8 or 2.7, but I made a decision I was going to be an honor student and that I needed uh, to distinguish myself to get a good job. So when I went to the four-year college, I had checked out books on how to make gays in college, how to take essay exams, how to study. And my first semester, uh, going full-time, working full-time at the community college library, I had a 3.7 average. And when I graduated, I had a, a, almost a 3.6. So somewhere along the line, you decided, I'm all in with this. I'm really going to put effort into it. And boy, did it pay off. Yeah, I mean, I knew that I needed to distinguish myself to get a better job. Plus, I always mentored well. When people that I looked up to told me what I needed to do to be successful, I just followed their advice. And even now, you know, I'm in my late 60s, uh, I still have mentors because now I'm an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. I'm a businesswoman and I'm in new spaces and new spheres. And so I have to draw on the wisdom of people that have gone before me. So you're never too old to learn. That's awesome. mind matters. Mind matters. <laughs> so you worked at these prestigious universities and, you know, I've read some of your books and, you know, just how that shaped you for the causes. Cause at that time you weren't a Christian, right? No, but you know what helped shape me for my life and who I am today and all this stuff is that before I started college, this window of time between 1975 and 1978 and going forward that I had real jobs as opposed to so many people I've met along the way, their professors, they may be making policy in government, they may have these prestigious um, uh, political appointments. But they've only gone to school. Maybe they did a dissertation or something like that. I've worked in a garment factory. I have sold things from door to door. I have worked as a sales clerk. Um, I have had, I worked in nursing homes or taking care of the elderly. And, you know, I'm, I've bathed the dead people. I have had um, uh, jobs that connected me with all sorts of Americans. And when it comes to race, uh, I don't think I've ever been fixated the way um, many people are, um, especially the, some in the Black community. I worked alongside poor whites. They were poor like me. And we were working jobs that barely paid above minimum wage. And so when you got a 10 cent an hour raise or 25 cent an hour raise, that was a big deal. And we all uh, wanted, you know, that 25 cents an hour raise if we could get it. And people wanted something better for their children. What I remember is just so much optimism after the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act and just the opportunities it created for people like me. And I was wired so that I never felt that I was a victim 
or that I, that because I was black, I came from poverty, I had children, I'm a woman, all of the excuses that people use today, I just never saw that uh, as a handicap. I believed that I could achieve the American dream. I believed if I worked hard, it would make a difference. And it did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, God's used you in a mighty way. I, I, I want to shift over to the book Abduction because, you know, I want to address your other bestseller. But this book, uh, you and your co-author, Stephen Fiesel, are sounding an alarm for how the a liberal left is seeking to brainwash our kids for political gain. You know, with and, movies, right. TV, music, <clears throat> educational system, all of that cor completely yes. corrupted by the left to control the nascent youth. What happened and how the heck have we gotten here? First, I'm going to tell you that Steve Fiesel and I came together because we both, he, he was a, he's an ordained Nazarene uh, pastor, but we came together because we had both uh, taught at universities and watched young people go off to school. Or we knew people from our churches that the kids, you know, that they've been through all the vacation Bible studies and uh, raised in the church and they go off to college and by Thanksgiving, you know, they're questioning their faith by Christmas, they're atheists. And so yeah. <laughs> we knew that they had walked into indoctrination meals. And so with that book, we tried to uh, let parents know what was taking place, that uh, that the universities, as well as the public schools, because we talk a lot about public schools and we sounded the alarm on the LGBT uh, indoctrination agenda that was in our schools back in 2016. In fact, I would say that the turning point, this stuff has been around for decades. Well, that's what I was thinking as yeah. you were talking. This isn't a slow burn. I mean, we've we've had this going on for years. I mean, you can flip yes. the decades back, but it just seems like things it have got gotten worse. so much worse. It yeah. got worse after the election of President Obama because he uh, appointed Arnie Duncan, head of the Department of Education, and a guy named Kevin Jennings, who was very controversial. He was the safe school czar, but he was uh, a homosexual that very much promoted sex acts we don't want to talk about on this podcast. He had been involved in some controversial things. They really got in the LGBT sex ed agenda. So even back when the book was published in 2016, they had uh, curriculums for five-year-olds raising, you know, the possibility of, we talk about now, you know, telling people that they may not be a girl or they not be may not be a boy. They were beginning to let little kids at that time know that it feels good to play with your body parts and all of this sexualization of kids. Uh, it started back then. And you look at, um, the approved curriculum for first graders, you know, through third graders and 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 so forth and so on. We wanted parents to know what was taking place. Now, what we missed is the drag queen story hours that started in the libraries, but ended up in public schools. When we published our book, that was not common. But within months of the publication of the book, we heard about all these drag queen story hours and these bearded men, you know, dressed up and some of them exposing themselves in front of kids where their stupid parents had taken them, you know, small children to sit at the feet of these men dressed as women uh, where they read them story uh, books. So that's- yeah. It's it's horrifying. I mean, I read in the book, you know, because I mean, as Christians, you know, we can all get involved at some level. Like a lot of us think, well, what can I do? It's too late to turn the tide. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm too busy to get involved. My plate's full. I love, A, that you guys give suggestions in your books right. about how people can get involved. The other thing on the tales of that 
story you just told was the story you told about the movie Fifty Shades of Grey, where middle yeah. school parents in Pennsylvania were shocked when their kids were given a word puzzle with words I won't mention on this radio show. Or even uh, the conferences for, for children uh, that were sponsored by some state, I believe it's Oregon, where they were teaching them sexual acts. These are things that, or back then, some of the teachers were taking their kids. One person, uh, teacher, took her children to a field trip uh, at a sex novelty shop. And, uh, and we do know that there were teachers that took their kids to protest rallies like Black Lives Matter. And you can imagine the danger to the child, but when a teacher, an authority figure does something like that, you know, they are, nowadays we're using the word grooming. We weren't using it back in 2016, but they are grooming your children uh, to believe in a different lifestyle and, and they're teaching them moral principles or immoral principles. They're not teaching them moral principles, but all of those things were taking place. So in 2016, when we wrote Abduction, How Liberalism Steals Our Children's Hearts and Minds, that was like the tip of the iceberg because within a, a month, the whole situation would change dramatically because they would push their agenda so uh, uh, openly. And so yeah. it wasn't George Floyd's death and the pandemic, even though the pandemic made it easier for parents to find out what their children were being taught, uh, that stuff uh, was out there much longer. And for the Christian parents who have decided, okay, I'm going We've to had enough. Yeah. I'm going to homeschool my child and you know, my child, I'm going to protect my child. I think that it's important for you to protect your children, but you also have to realize that a lot of the Christian schools where you think is safe, they're not safe, that they have been infiltrated by people that have these uh, new views of morality and your children. You have to monitor those schools and your elite private schools because the independent schools of America, the association has pushed that CRT and that liberal agenda uh, on the schools. And because the schools want to be ranked and they want to be certified, they have pretty much all adopted that no matter how elite. And so as, your, as a parent, you need to be aware of all of this. And I would also argue that even if you have taken your child out of public schools, you're homeschooling your child, you have a stake in other people's children. And you're paying taxes that are supporting the public school system. And because of that, your voice still needs to be heard. Listen to Mind Matters Sundays on KLTT at noon. We'll be back on the home front. I'm Richard Beatty, KLTT, Denver.